0: Ephesians chapter six. As we are concluding not only our series and looking at spiritual warfare, but we are concluding our series in Ephesians. Um, we have been in Ephesians since fall of 2020. Now we didn't stay in Ephesians that whole time. We took long breaks for whole semesters and summers and Christmas times. But we, this will be the, I believe, the 65th sermon in Ephesians, and we will be finishing up this morning um, as we uh, look at this last. Uh, aspect of the the sword of the the spiritual warfare this morning we're going to read in verse 10 verse 17 and then verse 18 through 20 trying to connect all the dots of paul's thoughts here as he closes up this book pick it up in verse 10 finally be strong in the lord in the strength of his might take the sword of the spirit praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints, and also for me that words may be given to me, and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This ends the reading of God's holy and errant and infallible word. May the grass wither, and the flower fade, but may the word of our God stand forever. Well, um, you may, may not be aware of this, but football season is just about upon us. Um, and, and, and this week, uh, Carrollton is going to be the center of the high school football universe. They're going to be on ESPN2 um, in a nationally profiled game that's going to be played here in Carrollton. So I was thinking about that, and it made me think of what's the most prominent TV show ever about high school football? Well, you know what it is. It's Friday Night Lights you got to love Friday Night Lights. I mean, explosions in the sky, the music that goes along with it. Friday Night Lights is an awesome show. It, at times, it's, it's soap opera. and other times, it is poignant and intriguing and insightful. And what's, what's intriguing about, about Friday Night Lights is it's, it's based in a kind of a, a look at a, a high school football team, and particularly a coach, in a small Texas town, which is in the smack dab in the Texas Bible Belt. And if you watch the first season, I've watched all the seasons, maybe a couple times, and in the first season in particular, what's interesting about the show is it is saturated with prayer. Almost every episode has a scene where someone is praying. And in the first episode, there, there's actually quite a bit of prayer because the star quarterback of the Dillon Panthers has a spinal injury on the football team. And what is put on display, interestingly, for the rest of, of, the, of the episode, interestingly enough, is there's a couple places where there's prayer. And the, the way people pray actually displays something of what they believe about prayer and what it is for. Many of the prayers that you hear are, view prayer as simply a, a magic wand, like, kind of like Harry Potter. Andy mentioned Harry Potter, like, expecto patronum, right? He has to get the words just right and he's practicing, practicing, getting the words right, and if with the right emotion and tonation, and this is how some people view prayer. They get on the football field, and they're just incantations, it seems like. Lord, we believe that you're going to heal the quarterback. You're going to do what we want you to do. And it's a, prayer is a means of bargaining with God to get what you want Others in the town idolize football so much in this particular football team that really, I mean, they couldn't, I mean, they care about the boy, but it, that's secondary to how the football team's gonna go. And So their prayer's about the state of the football team. That's what they care about. Are we gonna be okay? Are we gonna be able to compete for the, for the state championship? And you know what? Sometimes that's what our prayers are about. Our prayers are just there to give us the idols that we desire. Others don't pray at all. Because they don't have any interest in God. They don't believe God is there or they don't believe God listens. But then there is Coach. His name is Coach Taylor. Coach doesn't pray with strong incantations saying and declaring that this boy is going to be healed. And saying whatever it's going to take to get him back on the football field. No, when he talks to his team, he doesn't pray that they'll win. He doesn't pray that the quarterback will be healed. He says this. In the midst of everything that's happening, God, give us the strength to face it. And that, I think, is a great example of what prayer is for, especially as it comes to spiritual warfare. That in that, that scene, I think we get a clue of what the Apostle Paul is saying about prayer and spiritual warfare, that prayer is there for you as a primary and significant means to give you the strength not to deliver you from all the troubles of the world. Not to save you from having to deal with anything hard, but to give you strength in the midst of the difficulty. Because many of us struggle with prayer. We struggle with the, the, the way we talk in, in, as if we're talking into air. Some of us struggle because we struggle with our, the various versions of prayer, whether it be the, the magical prayers where if we just get it right, if we have enough emotion to our prayers and we say the right words, then God's going to give us what we want. Others struggle with prayer because they find that the prayers of those around them seem vapid in light of the sufferings going on in the world. Others look at prayer, they see it as cheesy and manipulative, done with emotive songs and music played in the background. But if I'm honest, I think my prayer is often like that, though. It's prayer that it's really about, I just want God to give me an easy life. That my prayer life is making sure, I want God to make sure my life goes well. And if it's not going well, change that. And fast, like really quick. And when I pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, what I mean by that is remove the suffering and do it immediately. It's like, you know, the old. we think of prayer sometimes as like this old survivor challenge in the show Survivor, when they would get immunity from some difficult task on the show. And we'd say, oh, if I just pray enough, then God will give me immunity. You know, I, I play these mind games with myself sometimes when I pray, especially as it comes to my kids. I look at my kids and I go, man, I'm really screwing up parenting. And this is not going well. But then I go, you know what I'm doing? I'm probably praying for my kids more than other people. And so God's going to give me kids that walk with him, isn't he? It's weird the mind games we'll play. The reality is maybe he won't. But the prayer that Paul wants us to pray is whether our kids walk with Jesus or not, or whether we're sick, or whether there's difficulty in the midst of the journey of suffering, and difficulty, and temptation, that what we should pray and why we should pray is because we need strength. We ask him maybe not to simply just remove the suffering from our life, but the Lord give us the strength as we walk through it. And that is what the apostle Paul is saying here. The purpose here in verse 10 is he says, stand firm. May you have strength in the Lord. And he finishes that thought about how one has strength in the Lord in the midst of the warfare, in the midst of the battle, by saying, you got to pray. You got to pray and he particularly says you got to pray in the spirit and praying in the spirit now a lot of people confuse what that means they think it means maybe you got to speak in a certain way maybe with tongues but this is a command to everybody who's a christian everybody pray in the spirit and we know from paul in other places that not everybody has the gift of tongues and so that's not what he's talking about so what does it mean to pray in the spirit in such a way that you get strength for the battle Well, I'm going to talk, that's what I'm going to talk to you about this morning. Four things I want to say. Prayer in the Spirit strengthens us in the midst of the battle. Prayer in the Spirit strengthens us in the midst of the battle because by it, first, we are mindful of the presence of God with us. We are mindful of the presence of God with us. To pray in the Spirit, first and foremost, means that you're praying in relationship with the third person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit your prayers are done through the Spirit who gives us access to the Father. That's what Ephesians has already claimed to us. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 17 and 18, he says this, Jesus came and preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. How do you get to speak to God the Father as his child? It is through the Spirit. It's because you have been gifted with this relationship in the Spirit. And he is with you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22, he repeats this. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Meaning, you are indwelt with God's Spirit. You are close to him and he is close to you. So the prayer in the Spirit means that you have access to the Father. And we are indwelt with the Spirit of God. Prayer, in its most simple definition, is talking to God. Prayer, in its most simple definition, is talking to God. But how do, you have, how do you get to talk to a God who is, merely, who is distant and absent from you? Well, to pray in the Spirit is to say, no, no, he's not distant and absent from me. He is right here with me. To pray in the Spirit is to know wherever you are, you are praying, you're mindful that God is there with you. And you are welcome in his presence. And not only that, but he has taken up residence inside of you. It is to commune with, you, with God. And the implication for that, for the, for the practicalities of our prayer life, is seen in what Paul says. There's four alls in this passage of these three verses in 18 through 20. Pray at all times, in all occasions, with all perseverance, and for all the saints. And what this means is because God dwells with you and goes with you anywhere, it means you can pray with Him for, to him anytime and in any way. What makes prayer the means of strength in the battle is that the weakest Christian can at any period of his life, at any moment of the day, in the midst of any circumstance, cry out to God and God hears and God is there with them. That means you can sit in the doctor's office waiting for the news and there you can pray. And you can be in the office and you can have a task in front of you that you don't feel capable to do. And there you can pray because he is with you. And you can be holding and rocking a crying baby at two in the morning and the darkness of the night when you're struggling and you don't know how to soothe that child, you can pray, because even there, he is with you. David Psalmist says that even if I go down to Sheol, that is the place of death, there you are with me, and that is the truth. If you're praying in the spirit, and you know he says you can pray in any way, that I means he he says they're making prayers and supplications. Now to us that sounds like repetition. Prayers and supplications, isn't that the same thing? Well, it's, it's two different kinds of prayer. Prayers is the overarching kind of thought, and supplication is making petitions, making requests. So what he's saying is you can pray in all kinds of ways. Now, some of you, well, what does that mean, to pray in all kinds of ways? It means you can pray worship prayers and confessing prayers and prayers of thanksgiving and prayers of requests. Many of you have been taught to pray using the ACTS acronym. Adoration, that's praise. C, confession. T, thanksgiving, and S, supplication. And that is the way it is for us. You can worship in the midst of the battle, because wherever you are, you're at the throne room of God. You can confess sin in the midst of weakness to the Lord and say, I am being tempted, I'm struggling, I am under great strain here, I need your strength, God, because he is there with you. And you can raise your voice in thanksgiving because giving thanks is both an expression of a joyous, contented heart, and that's what Jesus most wants to give you an abundant life. And to give thanks in prayer is a discipline that keeps your heart clinging to joy. So, all kinds of prayers. Think about what we just did this morning sovereign over us. What are we saying? You know, one of the things that you can do in the midst of difficulty is, yes, you can make requests and supplications to God, petitions, Lord, heal me, Lord, give me yourself, Lord, give me your strength. At the same time, you know, it's also really valuable in the midst of suffering and difficulty is to raise your voice and say, you are in control. The evil one is not in control. The doctors are not in control. The God who made me and formed me and called me his own, he is in control. That's worship. That's worship. And so all these things are available to you in the spirits and they give you strength in the midst of the battle, knowing that your God is there with you. Prayer and the strength in the spirit strengthens us in the battle because by it, because by it not only are we have the presence of God, but then we're clothed with the armor of God. We've been looking for what, the last six, seven weeks at the armor of God, the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the gospel shoes of peace and the sword of the Spirit, and the helmet of salvation. Prayer, though, is the means by which these truths, these gospel truths that we use to defend ourselves, become mobilized into our hearts. It is the way that those truths are brought to bear in a relationship with God. The passage ends this image, this idea of battle and warfare, And and what he's saying is that when you take up the sword of the spirit and you take up the helmet of salvation, the means by which you take these things up is in prayer. And you go, it's not an actual physical sword. And it's not an actual helmet you put on. It is a spiritual helmet. And so you do a spiritual activity to take it up. And that primary spiritual activity is prayer itself. In verse 17, it's why I read it. Take the the driving word leading into this whole section of the scriptures. Take, take the sword of the spirit, praying at all times in the spirit. That word take means receive or accept or take in. How do you take in the scriptures? It's more than simply a mental and intellectual activity. It is a spiritual activity in which you imbibe, you eat the scriptures. And in, in the Greek in verse 18, going into verse 18, it says dia, through. The means through which you take up the sword of the spirit is by prayer. Prayer is critical because every piece of armor is useless without it. Prayer is like oil. Just like every part of the engine is useless without oil, lubricating and making it work, so it is with prayer. Fighting Satan without prayer is like David trying to fight in Saul's armor. It doesn't fit. But the means by which the armor of God fits you is in prayerfulness. To pray in the Spirit is to have the Spirit it takes the truths that we intellectually know and pray them into your hearts. This is what Andy's gonna be talking about on Sunday morning in our Sunday school class for weeks for this semester is meditation. It is the link between scripture and prayer, and they bounce back and forth. It is to sit there and to saturate your heart and your mind, to meditate, to chew on scripture in such a way that you begin prayerful in it. That you respond back and forth to God, that it becomes living and active in you. And I want to give you an example of what it means to have the truths be brought upon your to Have them enlighten your hearts, To have this armor placed upon your heart and your life. Now I think that concept is rather op- opaque and ethereal to us. So let me show you in the, in the prayers of Paul what he's saying that we should pray for here, that we, how this works. There's two other prayers in Ephesians. Joel's already read one of them in Ephesians chapter 3 this morning, and we're going to read it again. But Ephesians chapter 1 in verse 16, Paul prays. He prays for the people. He says this, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the Spirit the spirit of wisdom and revelation of knowledge of him so that having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his great might what is paul praying there he's praying that we would know the armor that the armor would be placed upon our hearts, that it would lighten our hearts, that through the Spirit we might know God and know God's power, and knowing that, that, they may have hope in the midst of the battle. We see the same thing in Ephesians chapter 3. Well, read that. For this reason, he says, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through what? Through his spirit. Where? In your inner being. That you, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That is praying the armor onto your hearts. That's saying, I, I, I know these truths intellectually, but I need to my heart to embrace these truths, so that when the evil one comes to tempt me and the evil one comes to bring doubt and dismay into my life, I have these truths set deep within me, that my heart is enlightened and inflamed with the goodness of the gospel so that I can, I can put out the fiery darts of the evil one. Well, Paul prays for these Ephesians believers. He prays that in, in all the midst of all the stuff that's coming at you, that your hope will not be taken from you. That when the evil one uses suffering to bring doubt in your life, that no matter what comes at you, that you will know the power of the one that raised you from death to life, that no matter what fiery arrows come at you, that you will extinguish them with what? The love of God in Christ Jesus. I pray that when terrible things come at you and in your being you want to believe that God does not love you, That if God loved me, he wouldn't allow this to happen in my life. That the good news of the gospel would say, that is a lie. That is a lie from the pit of hell and it smells like smoke. And that you know in the depths of your soul that the spirit would cry out and say, no, you are beloved of God. That is the armor at work upon you. And it's like that coach. He's not praying to win the game or to heal the boy he is praying that in the face of all that is going on, that we would be able to stand in the truth of what God has declared over us. In the same way, our supplications grow larger, isn't it? And this will change the character and the the way in which you pray. Yes, you'll pray for healing, but you'll pray much larger kingdom prayers. You'll say, Lord, heal me. But in the midst, would I proclaim your name? Whatever may come, Lord, whatever may come, may I know the power that raised Christ from the dead, that I know what it is to be loved and to love you, to know you and to be known by you until you come and we are united with you, the lover of my soul. And so, yes, you pray that your struggling marriage, that you would receive and feel affection from your spouse that you haven't felt in years. But in the end, you go, Lord, I may not feel that affection, but I know how I have yours. And so, Lord, in the midst of this difficulty and this season of my marriage, where I proclaim the glory of your name by being faithful, by being faithful. And so, here's my recommendation as an application. Pray the scriptures. That is the truth, right? You're taking the sword of the spirits up and you do that through prayer. That's what the Psalms are there for. It's so that you might take the word of God and you might pray them. And lift up your voice in worship and pray these scriptures until the burning in your heart begins, until you believe it. So pray in the strength and the Spirit strengthens us in battle because by it we are brought into the presence of God and by it we put on the armor of God. But third, by it we are focused on the mission of God. To pray in the Spirit is to pray according to the Spirit's mission in this world. You know, people get confused about this because they say, Wh- whatever, you, whatever you ask in my name, and I'll give you. And we go, Well, I asked for this and this and this, and you didn't give it to me. You know, But you, did you ask it in accordance with his name? Did you ask it in accordance with the mission of God in this world? Or was it prayer requests that are for you only? That are about your kingdom and about your glory. What is the mission of the Spirit in the world? To make Jesus known. In John chapter 16, it talks about the mission of the Spirit and that he will tell us that it is the work of the Spirit, That it's his job to make sure that we know who Jesus is, to remind us of what Jesus has taught and what Jesus has done, to make Jesus known. J.I. Packer in his book, Keeping in Step with the Spirit, talks about this and he says the ministry of the Spirit is a spotlight ministry. In other words, what he's saying there and what he's illustrating is this is you're walking along a dark street and you turn a corner and you enter a square in which there is an old and ancient chapel or cathedral, and there, there are spotlights shining upon the church. It's floodlit, the spots are on it. And you see the beautiful building and all of its features. And the first thing you think is not, wow, what a beautiful spotlight. No, the first thing you think is, what a beautiful building. And that is the role of the Holy Spirit. To shine the spotlight in your heart upon the work of Jesus and the beauty of Jesus. That is what the Spirit is seeking to do in you. To shine a spotlight in your heart so that you know who Jesus is and what he has done. And the work of the Holy Spirit is to make Jesus beautiful to you. And so this shapes the way we pray on mission. To pray on mission, to be focused on on the Spirit's mission is to pray in two different directions. But it's the same prayer. To make Jesus known... But it's for two different groups of people. First, for those who already know him, what's he say? Keep on praying with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. All the saints. So that's what he prays for. Pray for all the saints. Alistair Begg shares shares the the story of of an old friend of his named T.S. Mooney. He was an old friend back in the UK. If you know Alistair Begg, he's from Scotland. I wish I had his voice. Be, I'd be a lot cooler of a preacher if I had his voice. But his old friend was named T.S. Mooney. And it actually, he tells the story of how he, he rejoiced at the story of how T.S. Mooney, his friend, died. You think that's an odd thing to rejoice about. But his friend's name was T.S. Mooney. He was from Ireland. And Mooney would write to beg often and say this, I remember you daily. And I love this description. I remember you daily at the best place. Meaning, at the throne room of God, I remember you, my My friend. At the age of 83, T.S. Mooney died, and when they found his body, they found him in his bedroom, and he was fully dressed in his tweed suit, and he had his tie on, and he was kneeling on the floor next to his bed. And when they moved his body underneath his chest with his Bible and his prayer lists, of all the people for years upon years, including Alistair Begg, who he had prayed for, do you pray for the people of God? You pray for the people of God. This is why Paul prayed the way he did. He prayed the work of the Spirit, the mission of the Spirit, would make known to God's people Jesus. That's what he prays in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3. Would you know Jesus? Would you know his power? Would you know the hope you have in him? Would you know his love? And so I just took three weeks off preaching, and yes, I took vacation time, and yes, I did other things like create goals and work on the church budget, but every year I try to update my prayer cards. And so last week and my last week before coming back to preaching I updated my prayer cards. Every single one of these cards represents a family in this church. And I have your name and I have your kids' names and before I have specific prayer requests my first prayer request for all of you is that you would know the beauty of Jesus. I don't know much but when I do this I know I'm doing something right. So this is what we are doing. And you might, you might ask, well, here's, here's the issue. I, I, I thought this was all about how do I have strength for the battle. How does me praying for other people give me strength for the battle? Well, in the context of Ephesians, what has Paul been teaching on before we get to the spiritual warfare? What's the context? Relationships. Marriage. Parents and Children. Managers and servants, those who work for them. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul talks about how he longs for us to be united and reconciled and one together in Jesus Christ. And then he believes in it so much, he brings it back up in Ephesians chapter 4 and says, I want you to be united together as God's people. And so what's one of the main ways in which the evil one seeks to do warfare in this world? By destroying us. By destroying us by destroying our relationships. And so the battle the evil one loves to bring about, the way he wants to steal your joys, to steal and destroy your relationships, and so pray for them. You know, it's very difficult to hate people who you're praying for. I'm not saying you can't do it, but it's more difficult. <laughs> and so we pray for one another. We plead for the Holy Spirit to do a mighty work, that we would all know Christ Jesus, so that we grow up together. And so, yes, you pray for those little ones, because they're discipleship is involved in your discipleship. And Ellie Jane's discipleship is involved in my discipleship because we grow up together in Jesus Christ. But not just that. So we don't just pray for the saints, though, that they may know Jesus Christ. We also pray for those who don't know Christ and for our proclamation of Him. What does Paul pray for at the very end, verse 19 and 20, essentially his last kind of words before he, at the end of the book, and we're not going to look at it, in the last couple of verses of Ephesians, he does what he normally does where he says, Say hi to this dude. He gives shout outs for a few verses. And then he's like, Peace out, okay? But his last kind of declarative and teaching moment is he says this in verse 19, And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. What's Paul praying for here? Yes, pray for the saints. Pray for the saints that they would know Jesus, but also pray that you would speak the gospel with clarity and with courage. Keep the main thing the main thing. Now, what's interesting, Paul is writing this book in jail. He's always writing from jail. It's the only time he has time to get anything done. He's out preaching the gospel, he's like, good, finally, I had so many things to write. Someone arrested me and put me in jail. So here's a man in jail. He is besotted by challenge after challenge, and difficulty after difficulty, and suffering after suffering. And he is being persecuted for the faith. And what's his main prayer request? It is not take away the persecution. And if you talk to any faithful believer as the part of the persecuted church around the world, their request is not that the persecution would go away. It's the same request as Paul's that in the face of the persecution, I would have courage. That in the face of my suffering, and my sickness, and my difficulty, that I would obey him, and I would declare the glories of Jesus. And, and there is actually so much comfort here, real briefly, for those of us that are scared of, of proclaiming the gospel. What does Paul pray for? One, he prays that he would have the words to say, he's Paul! And yet he's going... I I don't so I I say stupid things. I say things that are unclear. I say things, and so would you pray that I would make the good news of the gospel clear? And then what does he pray for? He asks for courage. You only ask for courage when you are scared. He's he's scared. And so in that, man, it's such good that Paul, we think of this kind of up on the mountaintop with the Superman cape flapping in the wind, but this is Paul, and he's struggling with the words to say, and he's scared just like you and I are. But he's a man who's saying, listen, let's pray. Let's pray that we would know Christ and that we would make Christ known. And again, I ask, how does this make you strong in the face of temptation, in the face of spiritual warfare? Well... Prayer that is focused on the mission of making Christ known is a strengthening prayer because it gives you a singularity of focus. Think about all the ways in which the evil one seeks to tempt you and to do damage upon your life. It is on it is all these peripheral matters often. And so you're all, you go up before him and you are wound up and you are anxious and you are stressed out and you feel under the gun about a million other things and God comes to you and says, why don't you just think about one thing? how to make my name known. And so, yeah, you have no money. Sure, you can ask me to provide for you. But also, would you do this? Would you make the main thing the main thing, which is that you pray that in the midst of your impoverty that you would declare the riches you have in Christ Jesus? You know what begins to happen? What are we seeing? Be thou my vision. Oh, the things of the earth grow strangely dim when I focus on him so in prayer, we are focused on the mission of God. And in so doing, it actually strengthens us for the task ahead. Lastly, and we'll close with this. Prayer in the Spirit strengthens us in the battle because by it, we are expectant for the answers of God. You know, it doesn't say this in the text, but it assumes it. All prayer assumes it. It assumes what? That God hears you and that God answers you. It assumes it. And that God has the wisdom to act, and that God loves to act in such a way that is for your good, to answer your pleas and your cries. And God, in God, you have, in Christ Jesus, you have access. And you have a God who answers those prayers. And you know what God answered Paul's prayer here? What's he prayed for? Hey, he says, pray for me that I would be bold in proclaiming the gospel. Here's the last chapter that we hear from Paul, 2 Timothy. It's the last thing we hear hear from him. And here's what it says in verse 17. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear so I was rescued from the lion's mouth. God answered Paul's prayers. God heard the prayers of his people when they prayed for Paul. And he was bold in his declaration. And when we pray to God, we already read this this morning, Ephesians chapter 20 and 21. When we pray to God, what is his response? Verse 20, Ephesians 3, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church in Jesus Christ through all generations forever and ever. God says he will do more than we ask. So you bring your supplications but you're never asking too much. There's the old hymn by John Newton that goes this way, Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring, for his grace and power are such that you can never ask too much. So ask away. God says he will do more than we can imagine. That means that if you prayed every imaginative thought, every great large prayer that you would like to see God do in your family's life and in this church and in this city and in this world, he's saying, I'm doing more than you can imagine. You can't even even envision it, what I'm doing. Could you get curious about what God is doing in your life and get expectant that God is going to answer your prayers? I I lead prayer cells. Um, I usually lead a a couple... um, a year at various times throughout the week, I'm going to invite you all. Tuesday mornings at 6 o'clock. Yeah, it's early. The Koreans pray early, right, Henry? You got to get up to pray. You know, the Koreans, God's done revival in Korea over and over and over again because it's a play, a people where the church focuses on prayer, they get up at 3 and 4 in the morning to pray. I think if we can get up at 6. So we come and we pray for an hour. And, and, and you know what we don't do? We don't take prayer requests. We begin every week by sharing answers to prayer. Why? Because we have a God who answers prayer. And so we expect him to answer prayer. Alongside my prayer cards. I have index cards that just list off answers to prayer. Because I'm remembering. And I'm expecting. That I have a great and mighty God. Who is doing more. Who is doing more. Who is doing more. Than I can ask or imagine. You know we tend to think. That as God prays. As we pray to God. God that there are a couple answers God gives us. Yes, no, or not yet. I said this when we t- I preached on Ephesians chapter 3, but that is not the answer. The answer is not yes, no, or not yet. According to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, the answer is always what? More. It's always more. It's more than you could ask or imagine. He was ears. Let him hear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in order to be strong for the battle, we need exercise. And some of us need medication, and some of us need a good therapist. But what we need more than anything else is to dwell with God. Is to draw close to the mighty one in heaven. To have his ear and to hear his voice. And so, Heavenly Father, this week, I think that the temptation that we would most often experience is that the evil one will want to do whatever he can to keep us off our knees. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would restore to us the joy of our salvation, the delight of our hearts, by bringing us to our knees again. Would you do that here in this midst? would be via people who individually pray and corporately pray, calling upon our mighty God, who always answers with more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.